So if you're with us for the first time today, we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Sorry, Matthew. Some of you wish we were in Mark, but <laughs> Matthew. Um, we've been following Jesus' teaching and simply looking at what he has said. We have seen over the past couple of weeks that um, some of the teaching that he has shown to us is abiding for us today, and some of it is not. Um, and this morning, we continue where we left off last week, but the primary notion is this, this sentence, I send you out as sheep among wolves. It's a very graphic image, and if you hear those words, uh, you know, and imagine yourself as one of the twelve who are about to be sent out, and this is what Jesus tells you, how excited would you be to go? And yet, this is exactly what Jesus says. And so there are some things we need to receive from this. So my aim today is to present about five or so pieces of evidence that Jesus gives that abides for those of us who would call ourselves the disciples of Jesus in carrying his message and his ministry. Um, and, and hopefully this will be encouraging to us and, and a kind of fortification of our faith as we go out into a world that's hostile towards the gospel and towards those who bear the name of Jesus, for this certainly points to that fact. Uh, let me just read verse 16 once again. This is really the beginning of the unit of thought. I've included verses 14 and 15 as a kind of way to, to get us up to speed of where we left off last week, since we didn't get to, to address those two verses at the end of that previous paragraph. So verse 16, behold is the key word. Uh, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, and so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. The behold we have seen is Matthew's way of getting your attention. Listen, this, there's something here to see is, is repeatedly the way in which this word is used. And so he says, behold, I am sending you out. And, and the, the key point that we in this first sentence see is, is the word I. Look who's and consider who the one is who is sending the disciples out? This is none other than the Son of the living God. It is Jesus himself who is beginning his public ministry. He has begun to teach with authority. He's, he's known now. He's begun to capture the attention of people as we have seen through the Sermon on the Mount and subsequent versions. He's been going through town to town, teaching, preaching, as well as healing uh, all manner of sickness and casting out demons. And, and he is the one who says, I am sending you out. And, and the key emphasis from Matthew's point of view has been the authority of Jesus. And so remember who this Jesus is who is making this claim. And, and I remind you of Matthew 28, which we've looked at a couple of times, but this is the clearest perspective of the scope of Jesus's authority. He says, all authority has been in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you even till the end of the age. So this I who is sending out these apostles is the I who later claims to have all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a staggering truth. And you remember when Jesus prayed for his disciples and sent them out at the end of his life, just before his ascension, he said this very thing, go and, and spread this message to the ends of the earth. So this, this is for us. This applies to you and me when we think about how do we do this? 
How do we talk about our faith? How do we share the hope that we have in Christ? Because Jesus has an authoritative mission. He also has an authoritative ministry, which we saw last week in the way in which miracles are used by Christ to support the truthfulness of the message. Right? We looked at miracles and their work of affirming the gospel message, proving that the kingdom has really come. The message that Jesus has sent them out uh, saying is the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the proof is the power is present. And that power gets manifested in miracles. And, and I asked or invited you to ask the question last week, are those miracles and that power of the kingdom, is that a quality of the kingdom in, in all of its fullness, or is that simply the unique characteristics of a few messengers, namely the apostles? And, and I argue that the miracles are attendant qualities of the in kingdom. And so where the kingdom is present, the power of Jesus will continue to be manifested in his ministry. That's why if you reject that, you are on deadly ground. And that's those last two verses, the previous paragraph, which we didn't get to last week. So look with me at verses 14 and 15. The authority of Jesus is present in the world. We see it in his teaching. His teaching is authoritative, but also in his ministry, the power of his authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases, open blind eyes, all of these things that Jesus has done to touch leprosy, which is contagious, any number of contagious skin diseases, and Jesus heals them. And when that is manifested and you're confronted with a message that you've never heard before and you see power like you've never seen before demonstrated, what happens when you reject it? And that's Jesus' words in verses 14 and 15. Here's what he says to his disciples. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, then shake off the dust from your feet and leave that house or town. And truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment than the land of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, than for that town. So here, Jesus is doing a couple of things. He, he should, that should scare you. That should scare all of us who would... What, have I, what has been my response to the coming of the kingdom of God? Have I welcomed the kingdom? Have I received the message or have I rejected it? What am I thinking about Jesus? Have I received him or have I rejected him? And, and Jesus is saying here, he's thinking out to the future. Do you see day of judgment is on his mind? So he is in the present speaking to his disciples, but in his mind is the day of judgment. So he's gone far out until the end of time because he is saying, I'm giving you a present message which will yield a, fruit, a future fruit. So the day of judgment, if you reject this message is what he's saying. If, if people reject this message, then just leave them, go on to the next town. Shake off the dust of your feet. And he says, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for the town that rejected the ministry and the message of Jesus, as well as his messengers, which is stunning to me. Because what he's saying is there will be a day of judgment. There is something called a day of judgment. We, we will stand and give an account of our lives. And those who have seen much of God's kingdom, those who have heard much of his ministry and seen the power of the kingdom, we will be held to a greater responsibility than those who have seen little. And Sodom and Gomorrah is an example. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed for their own sinfulness. 
But yet Jesus says these towns who have seen a greater degree of God's revelation will be held to a much higher standard. And I I take you to Luke's recording of this event because Jesus explains exactly what he means in uh, chapter 10 of verse 13 and 14. He says this, Woe to you, Chorazon! Woe to you, Bethsaida! Two other cities along the seashore of the uh, shore of Galilee where Jesus has sent his, his disciples to minister. Woe to you, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable for, uh, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So those cities, the people in those cities who did not see the miraculous things that Jesus is sending out his disciples to do, those cities who didn't see that will be judged less severely than the cities who, who see his, his disciples come in the message and the ministry and then say, I want nothing to do with this. Yeah, I, he healed some guy. Okay, he opened some blind eyes. He probably did that by the power of the devil. So no, just move on, Jesus. He is saying you will be held to a stricter standard of judgment. So this tells us something that is an uncomfortable truth, but a necessary reality as we think about our destiny, because Jesus has gone far out to the end of time, to the judgment day, and and he's taking us there. Every one of us in this room have to think, where will you end up? Because it is a real fact, there will be a day of judgment. And I'm, I'm quite astonished that almost every religion has some concept of a day of judgment, right? Even non-religious ideologies have a sense of the judgment day. Climatologists say there is a judgment day that is coming. Every conception of of, uh, a belief system has a sense of there's a judgment day that will come an end of time when we are going to be accountable. And Jesus is talking here about condemnation in hell. Jesus teaches us that hell is a very real place. We've already seen it as we've been moving through this gospel Uh, Three times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the reality of hell. He mentions the fact that we will stand before him in chapter 7 and give an account of our lives. And if we have seen much of his ministry and and heard his, his message and we have rejected him, then he says greater condemnation in hell will come to those who have greater revelation and yet still reject it. So hell is a real place. It exists for the punishment of sinners. And every human being is a sinner. And so every human being deserves hell and to be sent away from the presence of God. But the gospel is you can avoid it. There is a way to get out from under the condemnation of God's wrath on sin. And that is through Jesus. We have to share the gospel. The, good, the bad news and the good news. The bad news, we're all condemned. We're all in the same boat. Everybody in this room is a sinner. Yes? Raise your hand if you know you're a sinner. We've, and if you're married and somebody, a spouse is not raised, you just look over. You, what are you talking about? We are all under condemnation. That is a, a breathtaking reality that we have to come to grips with. And yet, the glorious truth of the gospel is Jesus died to free you from that condemnation. That's why he paid the price of his own blood on the cross was to free us from sin. And so we know this. We have to consider how rightly to respond. So Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. 
The servant who knew that his master would, uh, his master's will, but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. Much has been given to us. Much knowledge has been given to us. You can pull out your phone and find the Bible in a heartbeat. That's incredible. And we have the history of the record of all that Jesus has done. We, we know the miracles he performed. We've seen towns be changed. We've, lives have been changed. Our lives have been changed. And we're all going to be held responsible for that. And as a teacher, preacher, the Bible also says, you who preach are going to be held to a much higher standard as well. So pray for me. That verse makes me tremble. And yet we have to share the truth of the gospel because the times of ignorance are over. Acts chapter 17, Paul stands in a godless, pluralistic society in, in, at Athens and he says this, he says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, that's the past, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. And he's talking about Jesus. You can't escape the fact that there will come a judgment day. It is real. We are all going to stand before him. The times of ignorance are over. Jesus has come. His coming has changed everything. And, and I pray that Advent is such a wonderful season to reset the priorities of your life. Because, he, yes, he came as a little baby, but he did not stay that way. Today, he is the reigning ruler of the universe, and we celebrate his birthday because he represents the fullness of the gospel being accomplished. Sin has been paid for. Right? One of the greatest truths of the gospel is, at least for me, Todd Craven's sins, all of them, and the ones I have yet to commit, are atoned for in Jesus. Because my faith is in him. I do not put any faith in my ability to get myself into heaven or do enough things so that God will say, well, your good deeds on the scale outweigh the bad deeds. That's not how it works. Are you, Jesus is the only righteous person he is the only man who lived a sinless life and then died, not because he was guilty of sin, but because he was completely innocent and willingly laid down his life so that those of us who trust in him could with him be resurrected. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the freedom of the cross and the deliverance of the power of sin. No longer are we under the dominion of darkness. We are under the kingdom of light. This has to be shared. And Jesus is saying, it's worth your lives to share this. So he says to his disciples, I am sending you out with this gospel message that the kingdom has come. And I'm sending you out like sheaves in the middle of wolves. I'm sorry, sheep is a collective noun. It's not sheeps, is it? It's just sheep. I'm sending you out as sheep in the middle of wolves. That's the nature of this ministry that we have been given, is we go out with the truth and the world is going to abuse us for bringing it to them. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I'm sending you out like you're in the middle of wolves and you're completely defenseless. 
and yet you must go out. He is saying that to his disciples. Imagine you standing there today and hearing this message because this is an abiding message. This is a message given to us. All of his subsequent disciples, we are to take this message. And so when he says, I'm sending you out like sheep in the middle of wolves, he's saying that to you and me today who have been charged with taking his, his mission and his ministry to the ends of the earth. And so it must go out. The message is that important that it, at the cost of lives, must be shared. And he says, when you're sharing this, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. As wise as serpents. And some, we, we ask, what does that mean? So for us today, as we are called to be wise in how we shared the gospel, one contextual example here of what this means is, know when to shut up and know when to move on. He tells his disciples, when you go and you preach to a town or a village, and and they don't receive you, go on somewhere else. Right today, when you share the gospel with someone, a couple of times maybe, but when they tell you, I don't want to hear it anymore, then go on to the next person. Look for another door of opportunity. That's the wisdom that carries us. Don't stay around until they beat you in the face. Just move on to the next town or the next person. So be wise. So hell is real. Rejecting the gospel is, is, is a consequence that will be, for some, paid for with their eternal destiny in hell. Condemnation in hell. Hell is a real place. But there is a real escape. It is through Jesus. We must share this message because the gospel of the kingdom has come. Even if you're attacked for it, look for ways to share But be wise and don't respond in sinful ways. When you're attacked, do not attack back. When someone makes fun of you for sharing the gospel, do not respond in kind. Don't play tit for tat. Just share the truth. Let the Spirit of God do the work that is necessary and then move on. So that's the behold. This is what you need to see. You need to see these truths. Secondly, the second piece of advice Jesus gives to his disciples, and he gives to us today, which is beware. Verses 17 to 18. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So you see, again, Jesus is going beyond the present to the future because he mentions kings and Gentiles. At the beginning of this speech, he said to his disciples, don't go anywhere but other than with the Jews. And so now, suddenly in his thinking, he has spanned beyond this temporal mission and he's thinking about the future because Gentiles are included and we know the gospel comes first to the Jews and then it spreads outwardly to all of the Gentiles. So this is an abiding principle for us. Beware, this future mission is going to entail kings, important people in high places and Gentiles, but it's going to cost you to share it. Look at what he says. You are going to be dragged uh, before courts. You're going to be flogged in synagogues. Some of you, in other words, you're going to learn the legal system of the country in which you live for us today. You're going to learn the ins and outs of the judicial system. You're going to have high medical expenses because you're going to be beaten for this. You're going to have high legal fees because you're going to get sued for sharing the gospel. And, And this is Christians, we need to hear this. We need to hear what Jesus is saying. Will you then go, in spite of the cost, to the ends of the earth? 
We have people in this room who have done just that, going to the furthest away places in order to share this gospel message, right? And you have among you, Boston, people who have come to you from the ends of the earth, and here we can share this message, both going far as well as staying near, we can share the message of the gospel, but it will cause suffering. And this is, do you remember what Jesus said about the Apostle Paul? He said, he is my chosen instrument to bear witness before me, before kings and for Gentiles, and I will show him how much that he must suffer. Right? There's going to be suffering that comes from faithful witnesses who spread this news, but this must be shared. And, and I, I'm wondering, how many of you feel confident enough to share the gospel? Five or six of you. Okay. What does it say here? I have called them what? To bear witness Bear witness. You will bear witness before them. What is bearing witness? It is simply speaking about something that you have seen. It's, you don't have to be a, an apologist or a seminary graduate or have taken 12,000 apologetics courses on how to share the gospel. You simply bear witness to the things that you have seen. Bearing witness is just telling what Jesus has done in your life. That's, everybody in this room is qualified to do that. Everybody who is a Christian, every one of you who is a believer and has seen Jesus at work in your life, you're qualified to do this because all you have to say is, here's what the Lord has done in my life. Here's what he did for me. And I want you to know, um, Thanksgiving Eve was a wonderful service. We've heard about what God has done. And since we began this little series and praying that the kingdom of God has come, I have gotten constant emails and testimonies that people have shared of ways in which the kingdom has come and in power. And I, I, I've become a little overwhelmed because I want to share them all with you because I, I get the benefit of hearing what the Lord is doing. But how do we see that? How do you see that? How do you be encouraged by knowing God is doing wonderful and amazing things? And, and so I'm, I'm going to, I think a little phrase might be a kingdom witness if you see the kingdom come in power and you think this is a way in which we can glorify God, send me an email and, and I will share it with you to encourage what God has been doing among us. And I want to share one that I received this week. Um, this comes from, I won't name the person, but I'm just going to read what this person wrote because we were talking about miracles. We've talked about the power of God, both change lives grant salvation, which is a miracle, as well as sometimes bring deliverance, healing, casting out of demons, all of these sorts of things. And, and here's, here's a, 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 an email. <clears throat> I'm quoting, for most of my adult life, I have struggled periodically with anxiety and tropophobia, which is a fear of clusters of tiny holes and particular patterns. Every time I look or see something like that, I feel extreme anxiety and my heart rate goes up and I want to scream. <clears throat> I would clench my toes and fists. I would get angry because I couldn't stop thinking of the image and it would mess with my concentration. My anxiety has worsened over the course of the last year and due to difficult situations in my life, I have been unable to eat. I didn't have energy to do anything fun anymore. I've even seen a psychiatrist and a therapist, but they assured me that I was okay and that talking about it with a therapist would help me get it under control. But nothing was helping. Then a wonderful friend from Hope offered to pray for me. As she was praying, I felt calm, and every time she mentioned the name of Jesus, my heart felt light. 
I began to feel a sense of relief that I had desperately been seeking. I felt comfort and warmth and peace flowing into me, and I can say that I literally felt like evil spirits were being pulled out of me by Jesus. As soon as she finished praying, I burst into tears and cried uncontrollably. I felt delivered from my phobia, and I was healed. I was amazed at how great our God is and how powerful prayer is. So over the next few days, I noticed uh, drastic changes in my thinking and my body's response to things. No more stream of constant worry, no more racing heart, no more breaking out in cold sweats, and no more panic attacks. Now I want to tell you, I have, uh, it, not that I have never been anxious since that moment, but I will say that I believe something miraculous happened to me as a result of that prayer. I am literally a new person, and I know that there was a spirit of anxiety that was ripped out of me from that day and has never returned. I am happier and more peaceful, and now I never give up hope in God and never stop praying. Uh, Folks, I know that, amen. Pray that God's kingdom would continue to come. Don't stop believing. And as I said last week, not every single prayer is going to be answered in the way that we want it. Sometimes it is not God's will to deliver immediately, but that doesn't mean we stop praying. Jesus taught us to pray and never give up. And so that's what we want to do is to keep praying because the message of the kingdom is the message that needs to be prayed and and praised and sung and shared and demonstrated through all of our lives. So be bold, um, be be, uh, aware of what God is doing among us, And then third, be calm. Look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus commands calmness. And he's talking about this inward disposition when you're about to share the gospel. When you're coming to a place of of giving testimony, be calm. Here's, Here's what he says. When they deliver you, when, when the suffering comes, when the opposition comes, not if, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So when the door opens and an opportunity comes to share the hope that you have in Christ, don't freak out, is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, trust in me. I will give you the Spirit of your Father. Remember, Christians, you are the child of the King. The Spirit of your Father will give you the words that you need in the moment that you need them. And I know we all want, I want the script before the conversation. He doesn't work like that. He simply says, I will give you what you need in the moment that you need it. So trust me, rest in me, don't be anxious, right? This I believe the person who wrote that email is exactly right. This this gripping sense of fear is not from the Lord. This is from the enemy. And so we need to, to, in him, in faith and trust in him, trust that he will give us what we need. So be calm. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose spirit has been given to his children. And then fourth, the fourth piece of evidence, after be calm, he says, also be enduring. Verses 21 to 23. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. Shocking, right? Children will rise against their parents and have them put to death, 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? Saying to them, he's saying to us, sometimes it will bring family division. And, and in some situations, even to the point of death. There will be family members rising up against family members. There will be hostility between members of the same family over the sake of the name of Jesus. It will bring division, is what he is saying. And so be prepared for this. And there's probably not anything more painful than having your own biological family opposed at you because of what you believe about Jesus. And I know many of you have experienced it. I've heard many stories of, I came to faith, I I love Jesus, I wanted to share with my family, and they thought I was nuts. Mom disowned me, or dad disowned me, or I got kicked out of the house. That's happened. And yet, Christ can bring things around. But be ready for this. Don't be shocked by it. And he also says, you're going to be hated by everyone for my name's sake. And that's here, right? There are many places in the world where to be called a follower of Jesus or a Christian can get you killed. There are many who think they are serving God in killing Christians, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen in John 16 too. He said, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And yet, what does he say? Those who endure till the end will be saved. So Christians, we have to be willing to endure this for the sake of the name of Jesus. Not because of our own rudeness, but yet for the sake of the name of Jesus. And so far as we rightly represent him, we must be willing to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. Whether that's being attacked or maligned or thrown in jail or beaten or arrested or sued, uh, all of these kinds of things, we will We shouldn't be surprised when we have to endure them for the sake of the name of Jesus. And he says, when one town persecutes you, go to the next. So at work, when you face opposition, when your family members are facing opposition because they know you're a Christian, just be quiet, move on. Don't, don't, just let let this be our guide of here. I said it a couple weeks ago. Let's be polite proclaimers and not pushy protagonists. In sharing the gospel, let us politely share the hope that we have in Jesus. And then we get to verse 23, which actually is one of the more difficult verses in the Bible to to rightly understand. There is lots of controversy. What does Jesus mean by, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel until the end shall come? Um, There's a couple of things that seem clear to me. First, Jesus is saying to his disciples, there will be a continuous ministry that's to move throughout the land. You're to take the gospel all throughout the region, and and you won't have completed the mission until the Son of Man is revealed. There's lots of arguments over what does it mean the Son of Man is revealed, and I'm not going to let you, you can go look at the commentaries and fight over this if you want to. Here's, Jesus explains what he means at the end of Matthew in verses, uh, chapter 24, verses 13 to 14. He says almost the exact same thing. And it's much clearer here. And since that's the end of his ministry, I think this might be helpful to us. So I want to read it to you. Matthew 24, 13 to 14. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. Same thing he just said, right? So here's the end of the mission. He's still calling for endurance. And I, I, many of you are weary. If you are discouraged for how often you share the gospel and nobody responds, don't be discouraged. Keep enduring. Keep being faithful. Don't let up. Stay to it. And he says, 
the gospel of the kingdom, verse 14 and 24, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus is saying, this message of the gospel has got to span the globe. It's, it's got to go throughout all of the land, and this time all of the land is all of the world. And only after that happens, then Christ will return. Then the end will come. Then the end of time will come, and Jesus will be revealed. So this is our mission, to take the gospel to all nations. And maybe some of the Lord is calling you. Some of you are wrestling with, what do I want to do with my life? And let this be a part of your prayer as you're concerned about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus has called us to do. It will be costly. We have to be willing to suffer. And, and yet, the message is that important that it's worth shedding our own blood or giving our own time in order to proclaim the truths of the gospel. And do we take the opportunities that we're given? I encourage you, look for opportunities at work and at home and with your neighbors in order to share the hope that we have. If we have hope in Christ, can we not then with enthusiasm share with those who need to hear there is someone who created you, who knows you, who knit you together in your mother's womb and you're created in the image of God and that same person laid his life down so that you could spend eternity with him. Hear those messages and let us be fruitful in sharing them. And then lastly, the last two verses, be like Jesus. The fifth piece of advice to his followers is be like me. And here's what he says in verses 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. So if they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is saying, when you take this message of mine, this message and this ministry of mine, don't be surprised when they say you're satanic. Right? Beelzebul is another name for the prince of demons. It's another name for Satan. Do you remember, back at the end of chapter 9, we saw that when Jesus was healing, he was accused of using satanic power in order to heal people. And he's now reminding his disciples, if they said, I had a demon, what do you think they're going to say to you? If the master of the house is called satanic, then would it be any different for those who faithfully serve him? Don't be surprised. And he says, you're not above me. <laughs> That's what he's saying. If I suffered and was so lied about in this way, then don't be surprised when it happens to you. So be willing to share the gospel. So in, in summary, let me, let me wrap up. What have we seen? What have we what are we seeing here? Jesus has entrusted his ministry and his mission to his disciples. And he has sent them out to take this message to the ends of the earth. That is a message for us. He sent out the 12, but he also then at the end of his ministry, before he ascended to heaven, said all of his disciples were to take this message and ministry to the ends of the earth. So behold, there is great cost at this. And yet there is immense value, soul-saving value in sharing the message of the gospel. So be, be ready. Be ready to be attacked. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Don't be shocked when the world attacks you. But yet uh, don't give up because salvation 
is, is waiting. For those who would endure all of these things, for those who would receive this message, salvation awaits. So beware of all of these things. Beware that attack is coming. Beware that uh, persecution is coming. But keep bearing witness. Don't stop talking about the hope that you have in Christ. And when, when the door opens, be calm. When the opportunity comes to share the gospel of the kingdom in the name of Jesus, be calm. Don't be anxious. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to say in that moment. And pray for them. Pray. Sometimes I do that before I'm talking to someone. Lord, in my heart, please give me words here. Please fill me with your spirit. Right? Pray that God would speak through us and be like Jesus. What are the ways that we can be like Jesus this week? In your context, at work, at home, wherever you are, how can you live like him? How can you manifest these qualities of the character of God? And so this is what we're called to. Even though there is an intense persecution that may come for the sake of the gospel, the message must be shared. We must bear witness faithfully to the hope of the gospel. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask you to pour out your spirit upon your people this morning. Would you equip us who know you to be able to faithfully share the gospel when opportunities arise this week? May, Lord, we be amazed at your kindness and goodness to use unworthy people and common folks in order to share a message that will save the souls of some people. And God, I pray, let salvation come. Maybe there's somebody in this room this morning who needs to receive you, who needs to welcome you into their lives. Let, let that happen today. Let faith be granted to those who have weak faith. And Lord, I pray that you, through your spirit, would, would grant an awareness that hell is a real place. Sin is real. It requires the shedding of blood in order for forgiveness to be granted. And Jesus, you shed your blood. So those of us who are in you by faith and have our sins forgiven and eternal life given to us, Lord, let every person hearing my voice open their heart to you and confess their sins and cry out for the Holy Spirit to dwell within the, in the heart in order to transform the life of every person in this room. And Lord, we want to be obedient, so please empower your saints, empower your people to be bold for the gospel, to be calm in the Holy Spirit, to be aware that we are going to be attacked, and nevertheless, to be faithful to the gospel ministry. And I pray all of this in your powerful and mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.